Hello, car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for the most famous words in motorsport. We have a great day of racing today. We're going to have a fair, competitive race out there. Drivers, start your engines. This week on Speedway Sounds, I'll play the interview I ran out of time for last week with Anita Racing FSAE Electric Chief Engineer Zach Damata. Then, international racing driver and UCI Aerospace Engineering student Matt McMurray returns to talk about the first race of his European Le Mans Series campaign with Algarve Pro Racing in Silverstone, United Kingdom. He'll recap everything that's been going on since January, including the big announcement that he will compete at the 24 Hours of Le Mans for the second time this year. Last but not least, Tristan Cortez joins me to discuss the first three races of the Formula One World Championship, Australia, China, and Bahrain. All that and more on this week's Speedway Sounds. Welcome to week three of the second quarter. It is Tuesday, April 18, 2017. During and after the show, I'll be using the hashtag AnteatersInRacing to talk about all we have discussed today, and I hope you'll use it as well on Facebook and Twitter. First up, here's my interview with Zach DeMott of Anteater Racing from the UCI Henry Samueli School of Engineering Winter Design Review from March 17th. I am with the FSAE electric car team now. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Zach. I'm the chief engineer for the electric race car here, fourth year mechanical engineer. Awesome, awesome. So what are the particular challenges of building an electric car compared to the rest of the cars? Definitely one of the biggest challenges is that our energy storage is batteries, and we are putting our batteries inside of an entirely new chassis. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a lot of safety issues that go along with that, as well as uh, low voltage control systems that we need to have in place for anything that could go wrong with our electrical system. When you signed up for the project, why did you choose the electric car? I got brought onto the project about two years ago now by the previous chief engineer, Ryan Norris. He was a good friend of mine from water polo. So, wow. Yeah. Interesting <laughs> so, connection. Those networking, the networking really works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I ended up joining a couple of, uh, two years ago now, and stuck with it ever since. I really enjoy the project. I love learning about the electrical systems and we still do all the same mechanical stuff as the other teams as well. So, What kind of personal experience are you getting out of the project? Uh, for me, as the chief engineer, I get a lot of um, leadership experience. So I assign tasks to a lot of people. I keep schedules. I keep the budget for the car. I also, though, have to be the one who's reviewing all of the designs, making sure that everything meets our goal and our standards that we have to meet for the competition. Yeah. So where are you competing this year? We're going to be competing in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the same Along as the, the combustion. Nice, nice. Yep. So, what is different about the 2017 car versus the previous car? This year, the major change we're making is we have one battery box in the back of our car. Mm -hmm. Previous year's cars have decided to try to use two battery boxes. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Um, we found that it's probably, or we're trying to test to see if it's easier to just put everything in one place in the battery box. You also only have to manufacture one battery box this way. So we're hoping that those things pay off, but time will tell next quarter, I guess. We'll see. So, yeah. How is the, how's the construction of the car going? 
Um, so from what you can see right here, we have a rolling chassis right now, which is um, keeping in progress with what we had last year as far as the chassis and suspension goes. This year also though, we have most of our battery box manufactured. So um, you can't really see it, but on our poster here, showing all of the internal panels are welded in already. Mm -hmm. So we have our firewall material there too. The last thing that we have to do for the battery box at the moment is we need to put the base in it. And then we'll be testing all of our battery fitting in there. Very cool, very cool. Yep. What are you hoping to do as a future career? Um, personally, as chief engineer for the electric car, I really am interested in the electric uh, vehicle industry. So a lot of people have heard of Tesla, but there's also, um, I mean, most companies are making hybrid cars right now. That also uses uh, electric drivetrain systems. Karma was one that I was interested in. Um, I believe Ford is recently about to start up a new electric car project out in Michigan. Um, Faraday is also here yeah. in LA. So. Um, that's what I'm mostly looking at, but at this point I'm open to anything because a lot of fields interest me as well. So. Well, awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Zach, who is the leader of the FSE Electric Team. Thank you, Noah. You're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. All right, and that was my interview with Zach DeMott of anteater fse electric the anteater racing electric car joining me this afternoon is none other than professional race car driver and uc irvine anteater engineer matt mcmurray matt has just returned from a week-long trip to the silverstone circuit in the uk for the first round of the european le mans series the four hours of silverstone and before that he also tested his algarve pro racing ligier prototype there and in monza italy and that's not all in january he raced a porsche in the rolex 24 hours of daytona and in last month's 12 Hours of Sebring. Welcome, Matt. What a start to 2017 has been for you. You know, yeah, it's been a really busy year. I want to start all the way back in January Daytona. I remember from our first interview, it was week two of, of winter quarter, that you had a lot of enthusiasm, and you knew that you and Park Place Motorsports could get a great start to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, but it all went wrong while you were driving in the early hours of the race at no fault of your own. What happened from your view in the driver's seat? Yeah, it went very, very wrong. It was maybe halfway into my first stint. You know, it was only like four hours into the race. We were just getting started, really. And we had a good car and good pace. And I was heading down the back straightaway to the bus stop. And I knew there was the, the chain racing Lamborghini, like a couple car lengths behind me. And then my spotter told me that there's a, a prototype challenge car behind them. And, you know, he said 15 back, 10 back. And I'm like, okay, he's, he's too far back to pass, so I, I'm clear. I can just go for the corner. Where was your spotter? Was he on the back straightaway or the front? or, or where is he, he was on the, you know, the giant grandstands in the front, the mm -hmm. media center, and then he's all the way up on top of there, so okay, you can yeah. see pretty mm -hmm. much everything. And he said, I, you're clear, so I, I was just going to go in the corner like normal. I break, turn in, I'm over the first apex curb, and I'm already turning right, I think. And just, bam, just something. I didn't know what then, but something just creamed into the side of me. Uh, like, the rear left corner just threw me off the road. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> this is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. This is it's like a, you, you enter at like 160 or 170 yeah. miles an hour, and it's like, you don't slow down that much. So that just tossed me off the road into the grass, and you, know, you can't slow down much in the grass. Mm -hmm. And so I hit one tire barrier in front of a wall with the front left corner, and that slowed me down most of the way. 
and then I still kept going after that though and hit another wall and then the car that hit me hit me again mm-hmm. <laughs> after I had stopped. Yeah, yeah. And I looked back and I was like, of course, it's the PC car. You know, they're they're kind of notorious now for being the class that causes all the yellow flags. Yeah, so that sucked. That totaled the car. We had to get a new chassis and pretty much everything on the car was new. Did you know instantly it was game over? Oh, yeah, for sure. The, the car was just destroyed. So you guys took the car back, you replaced it, and then in a month and a half later, you flew to Florida for the 12 hours of Sebring, the next round in the championship, just before finals week. You, Jörg Bergmeister, Patrick Lindsay, uh, and who's the other driver? Jan Halen. Jan Halen scored a solid sixth-place finish and finished on the lead lap in GT Daytona. What did that accomplishment mean for you compared to Daytona, and did it give you a confidence boost heading into finals? I wouldn't say it gave me a confidence boost because I spent all week that I would have spent studying racing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have much time to study. I did fine on my finals, but that was a really hard race, partially for BOP reasons, partially just because it was hot, and the car wasn't the best it's been, so we were all driving really, really hard just to keep on pace. But, I mean, no one could have gotten in our car and won the race. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much attention you paid to the race, but... Like in qualifying, the Mercedes cars, they, they were like five miles an hour faster in the really? speed trap mm-hmm. than in practice. So they just blew everyone away. You know, like uh, when you're watching TV, you could see like the in-car footage of the guys driving the Mercedes and it was like a GTLM car. They're yeah. just like effortless and they're just, they're going so much faster than us. They're, they're, they're not even trying. Did IMSA, uh, did IMSA mess up in your opinion? Yeah, it's hard for them to tell beforehand because everyone's hiding it. Uh, so yes. like during practice, right? sandbagging. Yeah, everyone in practice, everyone's like, yeah, it's like kind of the same. But no, you never know what's gonna happen in qualifying. And of course, after Sebring, they BOP'd Mercedes a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Pay much attention to Long Beach, so I don't know how that worked out. But it, sixth place was pretty good, considering all the obstacles we had to go against. Is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So now moving on to your European adventures, Algarve Pro, your team in the winter Asia Le Mans series rounds you competed and opted to have you drive with them again for the European campaign. And since you've been driving for the same two teams, Algarve and Park Place, how valuable is it to continue the partnerships year after year? It's really, really nice to be able to race with a team for multiple years in a row or multiple seasons in a row. Because of the way that I advanced in racing, you know, like, because I was trying to do Le Mans before I turned 17, basically, I had to move up really fast. So you're not with a team for a season mm-hmm. and then you're gone. So the last year I got, I've been getting to drive with the same teams for a while and it's so nice. It's good for me as a driver and it's good for the team as well because I get to learn the car and get used to the car and get used to how the team does things and get to know all the guys on the team, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. When you're with them for a season, it's hard to like make friends, you know? It's really beneficial though. Mm-hmm. And how valuable is it for the team to have you back again? Uh, it's good, especially in the European Le Mans series. We have a really, really strong lineup, partially because we're all fast, but partially because all three of our drivers are silvers, like the FIA rating, mm-hmm. which is beneficial because that means that we don't really have any restrictions on drive time. Oh, Whereas yeah. if you have a gold or, or platinum, they can only do so much time and the silvers have to do some amount of the race, but we can just do whatever we want, which is nice. But we're all fast still. So. Briefly, what separates silver from, I think the other one, the one below is bronze. Yeah, it's bronze, silver, gold, platinum. 
platinum i don't know what exactly gets you platinum but it's basically like f1 drivers lmp1 drivers you know like someone who's won lama like in terms of rules there's not really a difference between what golds and platinums have to do then the way it's supposed to work is that golds are professional drivers you know guys that get paid to drive silvers are amateurs or gentlemen drivers but who are pretty good and bronze is just an amateur gentleman driver i don't know exactly how the fia comes up with who is in what rating but they're not honestly they're not the best at it mm-hmm. you know there's there's a lot of teams who have like especially in gtd who have a bunch of silvers and like half of them are all getting paid mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're all professional drivers yeah. and everyone in the paddock knows that they're a professional driver but they're still silvers. Mm-hmm. Recently, you tested with Algarve in Monza, Italy, and you published a video of your nighttime driving, leaving me thinking you must be insane to drive, what, 180? <laughs> 190. 190. <laughs> <laughs> with so little track lit ahead of you, it's completely dark in, in Monza with you know, long straightaways, and and you don't always see the corner ahead of you until you're right there, right? What's yeah, basically. Like? It, I think driving at night's really fun. Probably one of the the best times to drive because so depending on the weather, the car is usually really good because the air is cool and it's just fun. <laughs> you're, you're going around and there's just nothing, especially at tracks like Monza or Le Mans where it's it's really really dark. That's where it's really cool. I like Daytona. It's like basically day with all the lights Partially they have there. Lit, yeah, but it, it's really really fun and you're you're just so focused because you don't really have anything else to focus on because it's just pitch black. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. What else did you learn from Monza? And you also tested at Silverstone, right? Yeah. What else did you learn from that test? Well, this year there's uh, new regulations for the LMP2 class. And so there's four new chassis and everyone runs the same engines. There's the Liget, the Orica, the Riley, and the Delara. Uh, in the ELMS, it's only Liget, Orica, and Delara just because that's what the team's bought. So because we have a brand new car that no one knows anything about, we're just trying to learn how to set up the car and how to make it go fast and how the car likes to be driven and what things it needs to go fast and how we compare to the other cars. Like in Monza, we learned, especially because Monza has such huge straightaways, we learned that the Oricas are significantly faster in a straight line than the Ligets are. And besides that, we're still just learning how to set up the car as best we can. You know, that'll take a season at least to get like a really good handle on it. Like they had on the old car, you know, it was just, you got there, you got to the track and the car was already good. And since you traveled to England for the entire week, you had some downtime between the test and the race weekend. And I saw that you went to the Renault F1 team's uh, shop in Enstone, right? What did you do there? It's just like a friend of a friend knew a guy who worked at the Renault factory, and he just gave us a tour of the place. And he gave us a really good tour. We were there for like three hours, probably. Wow. and got to see pretty much everything and you know even even though Renault isn't like it's not Mercedes or Red Bull where it's like the really big crazy super high budget team that's still a super high budget team compared to anything else and it's just crazy all the stuff they have there like the first thing that the guy who's giving us a tour showed us was their supercomputer mm. <laughs> which they Whoa. use for simulating airflow uh, it's, it's for CFD you know the, and it, it's just running all the time all year just trying all kinds of new things and they have a wind tunnel there, and they have a huge machining shop with just people always working every day, making new stuff. You know, they have a, a building just full of engineers constantly working on new things. It, it's really crazy. A dream job for a lot of them, I bet, right? 
Oh, I'm sure. What else did you do? Did you relax? Did you go out to eat places? Or uh, Mostly I just did homework, you know, because I missed a, a week of school, so I had a lot of work to do. There were a couple of days where we went to the track in the afternoon to do driver change practice. We didn't get a, a whole lot of English cuisine. It's uh, Silverstone's kind of in the middle of nowhere, mm. like most tracks. So we had some good food, but mostly just doing homework, driver change practice, getting ready for the race. In that Silverstone race, your number 25 car qualified fifth, and Andrea Rota started the car. Uh, talk us through the race from your view in the garage before you hopped into the car, from the green flag to getting in the car. So when I'm not the first guy in the car, usually what I'm doing is just basically just sitting around waiting to get in the car, and I'll I'll be watching timing and scoring in the, the broadcast, mostly to see what times other cars are doing and what times our car is doing, so that I know what pace I should be looking to do when I get in. And I'm obviously also paying attention to how we're doing. And, um, you know, I also have a radio on to hear what's going on with our team and maybe how Rhoda thinks the car is. And I'm also just trying to get ready physically because, you know, you don't want to get in the car when you're really full and you don't want to have to go to the bathroom when you get in the car. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to eat like an hour or two before you know you're getting in the car and you got to go to the bathroom right before you get in. And you know, I like to give myself like 15 or 20 minutes before I get in the car because... I know basically like the lap I'm getting in the car just to get mentally ready and like you'll just like pretend like you're driving the track like do a couple laps in your mind so that when you get in the car it's like you're you've already been doing a couple laps. Mm. Now, I watched the race live that Saturday morning on my on my phone on the live stream. Uh, after about an hour, Rhoda was driving in P8 in LMP2 class, and I turned away to have breakfast for a few minutes. But when I turned back in. You had gotten in the car, and you were second, <laughs> and closing quickly on the leader, and then the next thing I know, you're passing the leader for the, for the lead of the race. How did that happen? Uh, How did you do no, that? No, I, I turned away at the same time, probably, because that's when I was getting ready to get in the car. But Andre had a really good second stint and picked up a bunch of time, and I don't know what position I we were in when I got in the car, but I think it was probably fourth, uh, because I passed two or three cars uh, in my first stint. Yeah, so I, I was just managing tires, basically, that stint, because you only get like three and a half sets of tires for the race. So that basically means each driver gets one set, and then there's two left over, basically, just in case of emergencies. So we knew that the Ligiers didn't wear the tires as hard as the Oricas, so we were trying to keep that advantage and make our tires really good for two stints rather than pushing really hard for like the first 20 minutes and then struggling to like stay on the track because your tires are shot. Uh, so that's what I was doing most to that, that stint. And you led the race for a moment and you were running in second when it all went wrong again. <laughs> Again, it was a seeking feeling for me watching the 25 uh, Algarve Pro Liget just crawling around the track in the final corners before your pit lane, and I'm sure it must have felt much worse for you. Yeah, it was just disappointing. I was in second at that point. I was just in first, and then I hit awful traffic, LMP3 traffic, and the guy behind me got by it and took P1. And he had pulled away a little bit, so I was just trying to catch back up, and I was. On the straightaway between turn four and five, and, you know, I'm just full throttle, and then the revs just shoot through the roof, like, you know, like you just suddenly put the clutch in, in full throttle. So I, I tried to change gears, see if the gearbox is still working. There's like an emergency gearbox button that overrides all the automatic paddle shifting stuff, so you have to use the clutch or whatever, but that didn't work either. So then I just had to crawl as far as I could. I almost got to pit lane, but it, I mean, it wouldn't have been something that we could have fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, so you had to abandon the car, 
feet from pit lane, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I was already on the, the pit lane road, but I hadn't gotten to pit lane yet, so mm-hmm. they couldn't have, the team yeah. couldn't have gotten the car. Yeah, you're saying the gearbox issue was terminal, but is there a rule that you can't, like if you abandon the car on track, you can't recover it? Um, you know, I'm not sure what the rule is, but I know there's a line on pit lane, or basically where pit lane starts, where the speed limit starts, past... The team can only go to get the car. The guys can go grab the car and push it back if you cross that point. So, and I wasn't even close to that. Oh, so, wow. But, I mean, maybe they would have been able to fix something so that we could go out. But I don't even know if we would have gotten points. So. so when is your next race in the European Le Mans Series? It's the uh, four hours of Monza. It's the second week of May. Are you planning on taking off the whole week for that too? or uh, It won't be a whole week. I missed so much this time because there was the test on Monday. So, you know, I had to be gone for a long time. But maybe I'll be here Monday and Tuesday and then gone the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. But... And how can we follow you as you're going to that race on social media? Uh, you can just look up Matt McMurray Racing on Facebook or at McMurray Matt on Twitter and at Matt McMurray on Instagram. Awesome. You're also, one last thing, you're also headed to Lamar this year. Yeah, yeah. How did that come together, and are you pumped for it? Are you thrilled for it? Yeah, of, of course, it's Lamar. Um, I haven't been there since 2014, and it's by far the most amazing race in the world, so I'm obviously excited to go back. How did it come together? It was, I, I really just have to thank the, the team manager for Algarve, uh, Stuart Cox. He's just trying really hard to find someone to get in the car to drive with me. Uh, just so that we could go there and he worked really really hard to find people like you know like we had one deal and then the guy said he couldn't do it anymore so we had to find someone else but we got it all worked out and we're gonna go there so that'll be the middle of june in our finals week right on our finals on our finals i'm not here at all oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah so academically what does that mean for you well it really just depends on what my teachers want to do for my writing class, I don't have a final, so that's, that's fine. For physics, my professor is nice enough to let me take it the week before or something. Um, but then in math, I have to get an incomplete grade, which I think basically just means you didn't take the final, and I'll just have to take I think I have a year to take the final. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's going to be something to deal with. Yeah, that'll fall, be fun. In fall quarter, right? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe in summer, but mm-hmm. I'll probably be gone. Um, so I'll just have to take his final sometime in the fall, which <laughs> won't be fun. I'm to like basically relearn all of it on top of all the other things I'm, I'll be studying for. Is it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you'd answer it any other way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Matt, for joining us here on Speedway Sounds, and good luck at that race in Italy. Thanks, Noah. All right, now we're shifting gears from the world of sports car racing to the world championship, Formula One. In three Grands Prix so far this season, it is obvious that the title fight won't simply be between the two Mercedes drivers. Here to talk more about Formula One and summarize the first three races of the season for us is Speedway Sound's F1 analyst, Tristan Cortez. Welcome, Tristan. Hey, Noah. Great to be back on the show again, talking about Formula One and the first three rounds of the season, which have been very, very interesting. In the three Grands Prix we've had so far, Australia, China, Bahrain, what have been the most important moments? So for Australia, Scuderia Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel took the top step with the two Mercedes drivers, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, and second and third respectively. And Ferrari won the opening round due to their aggressive strategy going for an undercut on the Mercedes and on Hamilton. And Hamilton just struggled the entire Grand Prix on ultra soft tires, complaining with having no grip. And after he did make an early stop, he got held up behind Verstappen, which allowed Vettel to pretty much be in control of the race. 
and some really cool moments of that race. There was a three wide into turn one late in the race with uh, Fernando Alonso of McLaren, Nico Hulkenberg of Renault, and Esteban Ocon of Force India. So that was a really cool thing to see. On the on the other side of the spectrum, Daniel Ricciardo just had a miserable weekend in the Grand Prix. Crashed in qualifying, and there was doubt he was even going to start the race since he had a gearbox issue. They got him out there, but he crashed in turn three. So a uh, terrible weekend for him. He was very frustrated. And then moving on to China, Lewis Hamilton scored his first win of the season ahead of Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen. So Mercedes came out on top to retaliate against the prancing horses due to Ferrari losing out on an aggressive strategy call due to a safety car because of a, a crash by Sauber's Antonio Giovinazzi, who was filling in for Pascal Verline. So Mercedes able to come out on top there, the safety car playing their favorite. A highlight from that Grand Prix was Verstappen's amazing, amazing charge through the field. The race started in intermediate conditions, and we all saw Brazil last year. He uh, is very, very good in changeable conditions. So he ended up third on the podium from P16. So awesome drive by him. And then there was a really cool side-by-side pass in turn six by Sebastian Vettel and Daniel Ricciardo, where they banged tires a little bit, and it was really, really cool to see. Moving on to Bahrain, Sebastian Vettel comes out on top again, scoring his second win of the season ahead of Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, so a repeat of the podium in Australia. Ferrari took P1 under the lights to score their second win out of just three races, and Ferrari going on another aggressive strategy, um, putting Vettel on supersize for the second stint, undercut the Mercedes. Vettel, since he qualified third, crucially got past second-placed Hamilton, into turn one, which put him in a great position to come out with the win. And then there was a train in the beginning of the uh, Grand Prix of the top five cars, all within two seconds of each other. And also, an amazing drive by Sergio Perez from Force India to end up P7, starting on the grid from P18. Thanks, Tristan, for that summary. So first question I have for you is, who looks strong so far? Obviously, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, our Grand Prix winner so far. Who else? Force India has been looking really good. They're not quite so so much there in qualifying, but their race pace is looking very good, and they're currently fourth in the constructors. Esteban Ocon scoring consistent points, finishing 10th in the first three races, and Sergio Perez scoring points in the first three as well. And he's on a streak, 13 races, finishing in the points. So Wow. Looking good, yeah. Incredibly consistent. Yeah, very, very good for Force India. Williams as well, looking competitive. Felipe Massa, shout out to him. You know, he probably thought he was going to be relaxing this year, but now he's getting the job done, scoring consistent points in that Williams. So he seems to be enjoying it, these these new cars. And, yeah, they're they're right up there. They're only a point behind Force India. Taking advantage of a lease on life on his Formula One career. Yeah, definitely. Who doesn't look strong? Who's struggling? The obvious elephant in the room, McLaren Honda, has just been a lot of issues with the, the Honda power unit. I feel the McLaren chassis looks like it is great. Fernando himself saying he's the fastest in the corners. And if you look at his onboards, it definitely seems that way. But it's just down the straights, he just has no power. And Stoffel Van Dorn has been rather unglamorous uh, debut Formula One season, not scoring points, DNF'd in uh, China. And then he didn't even get to start the race in Bahrain. So, so yeah, a lot, a lot of issues to sort out there. It's true. Alonso hasn't finished a single race. Yeah, he has not finished a single race. He uh, he has retired all three races. So. Engine failure? The first retirement in Australia was a rear suspension problem. Oh, okay, yeah. China was the drive shaft, I believe. And then in Bahrain, 
he just said engine problem over the radio. So that could be any number of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason for Van Dorn not starting the race was a problem with the MGU-H, which stands for Motor Generator Unit Heat. So big component of the engine. Speaking of Fernando Alonso, Alonso shocked the racing world last week when he announced that he would miss one of the crown jewels of open-wheel racing, Monaco, for another. Alonso partnering with McLaren, Honda, and Andretti Autosport will enter this year's Indianapolis 500. What does this say about Alonso's drive to be competitive? I think he wants to win a race, you know. Knowing Fernando, he's a competitive guy, one of the best drivers on the grid, definitely. But I think it's great for a motorsport, you know, to have somebody of Fernando's caliber take take interest in any car and race in the Indianapolis 500. So I think it's it's a big, big plus. But also, it's something new for him to try his hand at. One of his goals of his career is to score the Triple Crown. So he's already won Monaco twice. Um, and then part of that trip, so the Triple Crown is winning Monaco, the Indy 500, and the Le Mans 24-hour. So he's going for the uh, win at Indy. We'll see how he gets on. Yeah. When I read this for the first time, I instantly thought, great PR for McLaren and Honda. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Honda is obviously doing well in IndyCar. I think Honda Honda powered cars won the uh, first races of the season, correct? If mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Hinchcliffe at Long Beach and Bourdais at St. Petersburg. So uh, they have some success there. I think. It, it gives Alonso with a good chance to uh, win. And he's also teaming up with Rossi, who won the uh, Indy 500 last year. So he could give him some tips. But the issue still remains. They have to sort out their Formula One engine. Looking at the new cars this year for Formula One, after three races, do you think they're meeting expectations? I think they're actually blowing those expectations out of the water because the expectation for this year was with the wider tires and uh, more aggressive aero that it was going to be hard for cars to follow since the air or the wake in other words that comes off of them is so severe and really uh, limits the ability of a car to follow behind but Australia it seemed there was not a lot of overtaking so it seemed to cater to the expectations but in China and Bahrain we had some some great overtaking maneuvers and cars were really able to follow each other and DRS there hasn't been a lot of DRS passes, very few. DRS has kind of been a tool to set up a genuine overtaking maneuver, which is really, really good to see, really great to see. Looking ahead, the Russian Grand Prix, what are your thoughts and what do you think is going to happen? Oh, Russian Grand Prix, not a good race for Ferrari uh, last year with Vettel retiring on a crash. I don't know, we'll see. I think Mercedes have the upper hand in qualifying, but I just think Ferrari has a much better race car they have been really aggressive on the strategies and it's been it's been paying off definitely i just think they have a better race car all right that's it for our time here today thank you so much tristan cortez for joining us to talk about formula one great to be back on here um hopefully on next week to talk about the outcome of the russian grand prix and uh it's looking out to be a very very good season with a close fight between mercedes and ferrari all right very exciting Unfortunately, I do not have time for the SoCal car calendar this week, so I'll write about it on Facebook and Twitter later this evening. Thanks so much to Zach DeMott, Mac McMurray, and Tristan Cortez for joining me for today's show. Follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word, on both Facebook and Twitter for your show previews and your opportunity to ask my guests a question. You're welcome to use the hashtag AnteatersInRacing. Next week on Speedway Sounds, I'll talk about the Pirelli World Challenge before its third weekend at VIR, the Virginia International Raceway, and much more. Up next, right now, Beer Ambassadors with Mikael Woodward here on KCI. I'm Noah Stein, and thank you so much for listening. Always wear a helmet and never, ever drive distracted or under the influence. 
You're listening to KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.